Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Pink Smoke Podcast. I am your host, Christopher Funderburg. I am joined always, as always, by John Cribbs. John, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing well, sir. Thank you. We are very excited tonight because we have a special guest with us this evening. We have Professor of Sociology and former part of the problem junk punk John Balzarini here <laughs> to talk with us about um, something that he is uh, a fanatic about. He is the biggest Spider-Man fan that I know. So we wanted to have him on to discuss the new Spider-Man movie or a, a very specific subset of Spider-Man movies. One's titled Spider-Man Far From Home. And so that's what we're gonna be talking about today. And I'm sure we'll touch on other things. John. Thank you for doing this with us. Yeah, yeah, great to be here and good to enjoy it. I have I have known John a very long time, John Balzarini. I'm going to go with uh, Balzarini and Cribs to differentiate between the two Johns <laughs> on this. If I just say John, I'm talking to to Balzarini. You got that, Cribs? Got it. And the protocol for this. Uh, I can work with this. Yeah, it's it's called organization, and I'm clearly an expert at it. Chris, Chris, you do the intro," said John Cribbs, <laughs> making me making me feast upon my own failure right now. My well, this is going great so far. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's going dynamite. John Balzarini, tell me a little bit just about like what's your what's your history with with Spider-Man and comics in general. You know, I, I said you're a Spider-Man fanatic. I don't want to build you up too much. It's not like, you know, your house is covered with, you know, I don't know, tiny toys of Spider-Man and posters and things like that. But, like, what's your, what's your background? What's your history with Spider-Man? Um, well, Spider-Man wasn't even, like, the first thing I ever read. Uh, I, I got into comic books um, because there was a stack of Fantastic Four comics that my aunt, who's uh, eight or nine years older than me, had, she just had these, uh, a two year run, and it just happened to be this like legendary run uh, when a, a guy named John Byrne wrote and drew uh, Fantastic Four. And it's just, it's incredible. To this day, it's still some of my favorite comic book stuff, and it just happened to be the first things I ever read. And then from there, you know, you can't read Marvel comic books without getting into Spider-Man at some point. And he's such an enduring, awesome character that, um, you know, of course, I've read just a ton of Spider-Man. I, I, you know, and to reiterate your point, I he's definitely one of my favorites, but you know, <laughs> a lot of favorites. Um, uh, and no, I intend to build you up too much and your expertise too much. Oh, what's the yeah. level that I can set it at too high? So that that's totally fine. That's actually a mainstay of my professional career is just to build <laughs> myself up way beyond my abilities. What you can ever deliver. <laughs> yeah, John, no. John Cribbs, would you think it's fair to call Burns run on Fantastic Four legendary or is this hyperbole on, on Balzer's <laughs> <laughs> He does not exaggerate. Tucker Carlson and Fox News. My God. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm intending to play you two against each other. <laughs> I'm just asking questions, guys. We just got to get to the bottom of all this. To, to call the John Byrne Fantastic Four run the best when Mark Wades is out there, forget about it. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh, shots fired. Shots I, fired. It's totally fair. Uh, it's it's a... heating up in the kitchen. Welcome to the kitchen cast. Where I, what I said was it was legendary, 
And uh, <laughs> it's definitely my favorite. Uh, if Mr. Cribs would just listen to my comments instead of immediately uh, coming back, uh, firing at all cylinders, maybe we'd have a little, you know, we'd have a better conversation. I I've been listening to your eyes, sir. <laughs> No, I, Let yeah, me wait, I, wait on a more serious note. What is it talking about? You know, one of your favorite runs of a Fantastic Four for the for the both of you, for either of you. What's like your favorite individual uh, issue of Spider-Man, or even just storyline uh, for that? Just to give people a sense of, of what kind of fans you are. I should say in this conversation, I am a comic book novice, and my answer to that question is I don't know. I get, I don't have one. I'm sure I've read some, but I don't really remember. Hey, Cribs, you go first. Well, clearly, Chris, your favorite Spider-Man story is the first appearance of Silver Sable. We all know that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Huge Silver Sable fan. Uh, was, do uh, you understand that joke? Is that too... Are, are, are people like even listening? Dudes? These are all just things we're throwing into the void. For whoever. <laughs> well, the void stares back, so... I know, I know. And I stared at Silver Sable's drawn boobies some when I was a kid. There's no denying that. Yeah, the McFarlane Silver Sable was really something to reckon with. Yeah, yeah, very, very memorably bad feet on that Yeah, one. terrible feet. I could not draw feet. <laughs> uh, my favorite Spider-Man story is uh, Amazing Spider-Man 33, 32 to 33. The classic story where he is crushed under rubble, left by yeah. Dr. Octopus, and he finds the strength within him to lift up the debris and, and save himself. That's the essence of Spider-Man to me, that you know he, he finds the inner strength, that it's not just the gimmicks and the web shooting and all the usual stuff, which I would say is uh, kind of uh, what this movie is opposed to, is classic Spider-Man like that and the, yeah, the, but, the MCU representation of Spider-Man. But we'll get into that. We'll get Yeah, into but I would say the thing you've just mentioned uh, is referenced in Far From Home, isn't it? When when the vulture collapses. In Homecoming. Oh, oh yes. Yeah. Homecoming. Yeah, Homecoming. I'm sorry, in Homecoming, when vulture collapses. Yeah, the they, got this, they got this home title uh, uh, motif going on. I, th I think the next one's going to be a baseball movie called Home Run, Spider-Man Home Run. <laughs> no, aren't they doing uh, like a Donald Westlake backflash flash fire thing? Isn't it Far From Homecoming? Far from home. Okay, so no, because it had to be coming something. Coming to America with Spider-Man. Done. <laughs> uh, he is in Queens. <laughs> That's true. Ooh, very good point. Um, yeah, no, uh, they referenced it in Homecoming, but in my opinion, not. It was a little too, little too late. You know, they had uh, introduced too much of the new Iron Man, Spider-Man suit, and his reliance on technology and. Just sort of the MCU's, I think, kind of biggest uh, conceit is that, you know, they introduce all this big technology and don't have character moments like that. And so when that mo moment came, when he gets crushed under debris left by the vulture and they reference that story, it feels so out of place to me. And I, I'm someone who was more critical of Homecoming than most people, I think. Uh, and it's, No, I think it's generally not well-loved. I think it's generally not thought that well-loved. But I, I think I was disappointed because when they introduced uh, Spider-Man and Civil War, I was as excited as I was when they announced that Sam Raimi was going to direct the first trilogy. Yeah, I was... thought he was awesome in that, and that it was a great representation 
that Tom Holland really nailed Peter Parker in his small part in that film. I was super excited going into Homecoming, so maybe I was just a little disappointed that it wasn't quite as good as I hoped it would be. But let's not get too far forward. I'd love to hear what uh, Mr. Balzarini's favorite Spider-Man is. And, yeah, John, well, and John, we are trying so hard not to call you Balls. Which that's is fine. Yeah. We that's are both making a sincere effort <laughs> to not have um, it happen. Well, and something to add to Cribs's point about that scene in Homecoming is that, you know, what makes that part so memorable uh, was that prior to that, Spider-Man, you know, they, they were kind of building up how much he could do and how much he can kind of pull from, you know, that kind of inner reserve. And that scene of him just lifting tons of stuff and there's all this water pouring on him. And it, it's so desperate at that point in time. And and like, like Cribs is saying, there it was already like there's so much <laughs> that he could do why couldn't he just throw all that you know if he couldn't get out that would have just been stupid you know absolutely yeah it just it, it didn't really have although it was clearly was an homage to that very famous and classic scene it, yeah it wasn't terribly well delivered in fact it was one of those little easter eggs where you're like oh that's from that okay well Okay, <laughs> you were just done. Yeah, but, just stripped and, of its original meaning, totally. Yeah, right, totally. And I think you make a great point about, you know, what that represents to the character. For me, I was thinking about this question, and I really had to kind of go back. And I, I, there is no um, issue. There's, like, periods of time that I like Spider-Man a lot. And I really like um, the Spider-Man of the early 80s, where he is an adult, and he is a mess and he is uh, poor, and he is making endless mistakes, but still grinding along. And uh, I, I, I just really like that period of time a lot um, in the early 80s where things were just not going well for Peter Parker for many, many years. And that kind of dichotomy between this like superhero saving the day and all these kind of situations. And then he'd go home to a dingy apartment and be beat up and have no food in his refrigerator <laughs> and his boss is yelling at him. I, I just, I like that period of time where he was like a loser. Um, is that sort of the Roger Stern, Black Cat, yeah. Hobgoblin era? Yes, that's know? exactly right. I really yeah, like the, the whole, and like the Hobgoblin being this character that, you know, you didn't know who he was and then it changed from various writers for a period of time. And it just kept, you know, it kept bouncing around and it took, you know, something like 20 years before it was all kind of resolved as to who the Hobgoblin was at various times. But it was yeah, like this, this huge buildup. <laughs> huge buildup, but also this long-term mystery that was unfolding. <laughs> and, um, you know, just all this kind of desperate, dire straits that he was in, and some of it of his own making, and some of it just being the pure bad luck that is inevitable of leaving, leading this kind of dual life. Uh, I, I just really like that period of time. And I'm, I also have a real soft spot for uh, the early to mid nineties um, uh, Spider-Man, the amazing Spider-Man drawn by Mark Bagley, uh, who that's just like something I read so much as a kid. And I just, the visual of that is so, so just some of my favorite kind of, you know, visual representation of Spider-Man in comic books ever. You know, it's real slick, you know, so it's not like the nerds uh, uh, Spider-Man, but it, it's always got a real soft it's side. The, the sophisticated gentleman Spider-Man. Yeah, that's right. And this is something we haven't really seen in the movies 
quite as much. I mean, a little bit in, I guess, part two and three of the original trilogy, but we definitely haven't seen a ton of Peter Parker living as a single man yeah. in New York, uh, kind of struggling and kind of juggling two different relationships and yeah. yeah, all the things that he's kind of has, all this baggage that he has on top of him, on top of being Spider-Man and yeah. all the, the villains and everything he has to fight. It's not something we've seen represented on screen too much so far. And I would like to see more of it because if you think about the Spider-Man uh, timeline, he's mostly an adult. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, Ditko and Stan Lee, you know, invented him as a kid to be relatable to kids and with kid problems and all that kind of stuff. But he was a kid through the 60s and by like the mid 70s, he's in college. And then, you know, by the late 70s, he's post-college kind of like, you know, taking pictures for the Bugle and you know, living as an adult man, you know, and helping Aunt May with the bills and stuff like that. So, you know, most Spider-Man, at least for the Amazing Spider-Man run and Spectacular Spider-Man and Web of Spider-Man and Spider-Man, he's an adult. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it wasn't until Ultimate Spider-Man in 2000, again, uh, Bagley drew that, uh, where they kind of reinvented the story and he was a kid throughout that entire run. And it was very much rooted in terms of like this kid experience but so much is peter parker as a young adult and it's great stuff uh, i always found that to be way more interesting than the kid stuff and the movies are just really focused on like this little kid who has little kid problems you know i agree 100 percent. he's been graduated from high school for what 50 years at this point in the comics yeah uh, even though they've you know gone back you know retroactively gone back and put him back in high school but i agree it's Spider-Man to me is more the adult life than it is yes. these, these, these kid problems. Absolutely. Weird. Yeah. It's strange as someone who didn't read the comics that to me, like I, my familiarity is like the quintessential teenage Peter Parker. Who's like, you know, in trouble with Flash Thompson and trying to get the girl and, and trying to learn how to be an adult is, is what feels like the, the quintessential Spider-Man to me. So it's, interesting to think about like oh yeah you're right every comic i've ever seen or read of him is as an adult because the only ones i ever read were ones i would come across when i was growing up i wasn't somebody who dove into back issues or delved in into the history in that way so i've only ever read comics with grown out peter parker and i don't think that would have occurred to me before you because they've reset it so many times with every cartoon and tv show and movie they've started from square one with him you know being the science nerd who gets thrown up against the locker by flash you know yeah and, the origin story has yeah. been told over and over and over again as if nobody has heard it before yeah um, well, and, you know there's something to it too where uh, you know even this idea that he's a kid and he's an adult you know culturally we have such a delayed adolescence you know in our society that being 22 or 23 and kind of a fuck up and not knowing what you're doing and being broke it still relates to the kind of late adolescent kid and yeah i i think that really worked for gen x and into millennial crowds the fear of being an adult isn't a, a 15 year old's fear anymore you know? yeah you, like, that's just like here in new york i experienced 29 year olds who do the like am i adulting right and i want to <laughs> i want to throw them in the sewer and let vermin get them you know what i'm saying um yeah. 
I, do uh, I think that speaks a lot to, you know, uh, obviously the marketing of, you know, the MCU and Sony uh, thinking that, you know, Spider-Man is something that kids want to see and it's got to be, he's got to be young. You can't be having these adult problems, even though, you know, everyone at the, you know, all the critics say, oh, the MCU is so dark and it has such mature themes, but it still wants to have its Jar Jar Binks, you know, it's like a character yeah. that it can like put in that kids Ouch. are going to bring kids in theoretically. Exactly. It's it it needs its ducky. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I, you know, the dark themes and these adult themes, this kind of like post nine eleven stuff and technology and people spying on you and you know distrust of of government and systems and all this stuff is so represented in Marvel comics. It, for in just a variety of way that if these movies didn't go with those themes, they would not be genuine to the source material in a lot of ways. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's kind of the thing is if you make Spider-Man too childish, really it's a departure of where the character is at this point in time. Well, well let me ask you this Marvel because has been moving. We're, we're sort of headed this way anyway. And this was a question I was thinking about. Um, there's a bunch of Spider-Man's movies now. How many is this? Six, seven, 22? There's a lot of them, depending on how you count the Avengers ones he makes appearances in. What are, like, what are the crucial elements? What makes for a good Spider-Man movie, in your guys' estimation at this point? Like, what's the difference between the ones... I think we can all agree, like, at the terrible end of the spectrum is Amazing Spider-Man Part 2, and at the very best top of the spectrum is into the Spider-Verse and Sam Raimi's Spider-Man too, right? What, what like makes for the good ones? Like what are the crucial elements if you're going to make a good Spider-Man movie in your guys' estimation? I, I you know, I, I give this a lot of thought. And wait, let me say this it just also in the context of sort of thinking about this question in the context of Spider-Man Far From Home, which we haven't even started to talk about yet. Just sort of, you know, what does far from home have these things or not. Yeah. I, I, I feel like Spider-Man is such an interesting character because even as um, like the culture of cinema and television and comics gets darker, uh, he's still such a good guy. He is like this yeah. kind of intensely good person, which normally would bother the hell out of me, but doesn't bother me with Peter Parker because I guess spending my whole life reading his life, uh, I get why. And um, so I think that's a, a thing that they've done pretty well is just this goodness that kind of exudes. And I think Holland has done that pretty well. Um, I think also like, and this is what Cribs was uh, kind of referring to on that classic storyline, this like heart, this relentlessness to do it even beyond his abilities and beyond his, you know, um, his sense of himself or what he thinks he can do. Uh, and, and that's such an enduring quality of, of movies and stories and books and whatever else is this, you know, just the heart of a character who will not quit kind of thing. And I think that's, it's gotta be part of a Spider-Man story because it is who he is. Cause he's almost, you know, this, this Avengers business is more recent. He's mostly by himself <laughs> and sometimes fighting 
a bunch of people at the same time. So it's like, it's on him to do it. And, and although, you know, these movies and comic books of late have like, you know, everybody and their grandmother knows his secret identity, that used to be the most protected thing uh, for mm -hmm. Spider-Man. And he was such a loner. So it was just him against the world. Always felt so awesome about a good Spider-Man story. And in him dealing with things that way and inevitably being overwhelmed, but still pulling it off. You know, the, those are kind of the features I think about is like just the musts of a Spider-Man uh, story. That's perfect. I absolutely agree with that. I think another thing about it is his every madness. Yeah. You know, there's, there's a reason that battle worn Spider-Man is a well-known phrase, you know, because he is somebody who gets fucked up a lot you know he's someone who is reluctant to go into battle reluctant to take on that responsibility that he knows has been bestowed upon him having these powers and i hate to like go back and talk about how important uncle ben and um you know with great power yada yada you know because after we've just dragged the origin story being retold over and over again through yeah. the muck but it is important because he's somebody who has to he's not Superman. He's not invulnerable. He's not Batman. He doesn't have these resources and he's not like the other Marvel characters who own their mantle and are willing to be who they are and go into battle. He's someone who wants to have a regular life and somebody who goes into being Spider-Man with great reluctance, but still goes into it. And he still ends up under this debris and finds it within himself to lift it up because like you were saying, he has this, genuine human goodness about him where he really has to step up against all odds and he does it anyway. Yeah. And it, it reminds me of a story, um, you know, back to that question of one of your favorites, there's a classic, uh, I think it's a two part story where he fights the juggernaut for the first time. And the juggernaut is yeah. just beyond Spider-Man in terms of power by many steps. The Juggernaut is one of the most powerful characters in Marvel comics and is, you know, the whole premise is he's unstoppable. You know, he's, he, and Spider-Man just goes at him. <laughs> and the whole comic is just the Juggernaut plodding along being like, ah, get off me, you bug, you know, some derogatory dumb term for Spider-Man. And then Spider-Man will just like, drives like trucks into him, is throwing stuff at him, putting webs on him. And he's just like, relentless and then you know juggernaut will get a punch on him and it'll just be this devastating hit and it just goes and goes and goes and he will not stop because he's trying to stop the juggernaut from killing somebody and you know that's just this kind of amazing thing about him and he eventually beats him because he's not just fast and he doesn't just have his precognition and he doesn't just have his webs and stuff but he's also really smart and he not just like a science genius but he's fairly tactically smart and you know well i tried this this didn't work let's try this let's move let's move and it's just such a great story and that's kind of such a great feature yeah. about who he is he's got the brains he's got the heart no, I was also going to say what you've just described there is something that I think of when I think of Spider-Man is trying a bunch of different things that fail. He doesn't come yeah. out and succeed on his first shot. He improvises a bunch of different strategies. And to me, what I like about the character is that the character is appealing to me because it's about how 
difficult it is to make the decision to try to do the right thing. And even if you try to do the right thing, succeeding at it isn't easy. And what doing the right thing means isn't necessarily clear. And that if you try and do the right thing, you're going to fail a lot at it. And just that it's hard and it's something you have to get up every single day and try to do. And it's going to beat the shit out of you, you know? Mm-hmm. And failure is such a big part of who he is. Like failure is part of him uh, as much as these spider powers. You know, the Uncle Ben death is forever a a, a failure he carries with him. They, that's He blames himself for that. And that is, runs parallel to everything he does. When Gwen Stacy died, it's his failure. Um, you know, uh, when somebody random person dies, when Gwen Stacy's father dies, it's his failure. He carries this tremendous burden on himself. So failure is such a quintessential part of the Spider-Man story, which I feel like in the, the homecoming and far from home was kind of like beaten to death a little bit. Like you're not good enough. And you got to, well, I was getting ready to say, it seems like far from home wants to be on those themes. Um, but it lets him off the hook constantly. Yeah, yeah right. So let's let's talk about Far From Home finally. I've just got to say, I'm surprised when we're talking crucial elements for a good Spider-Man movie, neither of you said Bonesaw. That he's the most <laughs> crucial element for a good Spider-Man movie, in my estimation. <laughs> yeah. Solving the question of whether Bonesaw is ready or not. is the Bonesaw's ready! <laughs> <laughs> um... No, but Far From Home seems like it should have. uh, It seems like it's trying to do some of the things you guys are talking about and trying to reference the essential Spider-Man. What did you guys think of that movie? I'll spoil, I'll I'll play my hand at first and say, I thought this movie was terrible. I thought it was one of the very worst Marvel comic universe movies and that it's really down towards the bottom. And I don't, I think virtually nothing about it works the way it's supposed to. I think there's too much terrible comedy in it. I think that it's, again, like all the others, it's got too much Avengers stuff forced in it, like Homecoming did. Uh, I just don't like this movie at all. But I'm curious what your guys' responses to it are. I liked it better than Chris did, which is surprising. I thought I was going to be the real dissenting voice here. Uh, although I agree with pretty much everything he said. Um, in that it still had the same problems where I don't think Peter matured enough as a character. He's still kind of too hapless and too young seeming. You would think after the events of uh, uh, the Infinity War and Endgame, he would be matured a little bit. This movie is insane. That's another problem with this movie, not to not get too far off track. This movie needs to answer the question of what is the post- Infinity War Marvel Comics Universe going to look like? And the answer is, it's going to look like a movie that seems like we wrote it to be released before Endgame. You know? Yeah. It yeah. doesn't yeah. seem like it has any interest in that question. So when you talk about maturity or any or how he changed, it's like, it feels like Infinity War didn't fucking happen to just put this guy back in high school after five years. Well, I'm just you know? thinking now, yeah, it's funny that we were kind of talking about how they refused to let Spider-Man grow up in the MCU. And how in the narrative they literally <laughs> didn't let him grow five years within the, the storyline where everybody else would, you know, get older and become wiser. Yeah. He basically ended up staying the same. Yeah, exactly they the same. to be a lost boy. Yeah. Yeah, no, they had kind of retarded his growth in that way. Um, 
I, I, I don't know. I think I enjoyed when it was sort of just a hangout Spider-Man movie for the first half. When they're... National Lampoon Spider Vacation. Pretty much. <laughs> how, how, how long have you been waiting to pull that one out? That <laughs> I went, went about 20 minutes into it when I was like, this is a fucking Euro knockoff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you stayed. He that. doesn't know. Um, yeah. Well, yeah I... it, it was totally like it, to me it felt really repetitive of homecoming too it, it was just like in yeah. homecoming tony stark is you know being the parent and spanking saying you're not ready you're not mature this is you know blah 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 blah. and that's like the failure trope that they bring up for him there and then he steps up and even in homecoming it's like he steps up even though he shouldn't have and the only difference was he didn't fuck it up and then they were all happy about it and it wasn't it was like it was only based on success, not whether or not he was ready or not. He didn't do anything different. He just won the fight against yeah. the vulture the second time than the first. That's what I was it, thinking it watching it this time was like, wait, why is this good? And the other one was Yeah, bad. why is this good? It, it doesn't make any sense to me when Tony Stark's like just lauding him at the end. But and then home or uh, far from home was just kind of like, okay, now Nick Fury is just gonna keep badgering him and I, maybe some of it was Mysterio which was unclear to me which Nick Fury might have been Mysterio and, and what was the actual Nick Fury but it was still that whole idea of like come on kid why are you just not getting it together <laughs> and and I it just was like well we've already been here and again yeah I didn't even think about that until you guys brought this up he's been to space and seeing all this death and the most heinous stuff, and he's still just like, I don't know. I don't he was know. in a state of non-existence for yes. five years and then returned to existence. What the fuck? Why yeah. is everyone and, treating it like that's not a, a fundamentally existentially terrifying and bananas thing to have gone through? Well, and you almost get the impression that they the reason why they're naming it the blip is like well the whole world has taken this existential lunacy and just kind of like pushed down deep and let's move on but he as a superhero knowing way more of the facts of the situation and the circumstances of the situation and having fought in the end game battle should have a great deal of liberty. <laughs> you know I mean? He's been on the front lines of the most significant war in the history of all living things. And he's just like, I don't know. He I don't should, know. I'm going to talk to this girl. You know, it's just be different like, the way Tony Stark is different after the first Avengers. He's yes. Just, right. Something he's carrying around with him for the rest of, of the series. Not just, yeah. can I just focus on getting kissed, you know, in a weird I don't know. John, what do you think about that? Uh, yeah, no, I, that's what I'm saying. I totally agree that there's not enough change, there's not enough growth of the character from one movie to the next. Uh, and it's a lot more of the same. Yeah, like John was saying, it's just, you know, re replacing Tony Stark with uh, Nick Fury or Scroll Nick Fury, if we're doing spoilers here, or uh, Happy Hogan someone who's telling him he's he, he doesn't know what he's doing he's doing it wrong and he's always looking for help he's always looking he's always uh kind of not sure what he's supposed to do and like looking for an adult figure to help him out i would have liked a little, something a little bit different it was forgivable for the first half because it really focused on the mj romance and how he 
his reluctance to be Spider-Man is completely that he has got a boner, apparently, and he just wants to run around Europe chasing <laughs> after this gal. Yeah. Um, so it kind of coasts on charm for a long time until it finally comes to Mysterio, yet another villain who has a grudge <laughs> and, you know, became a bad guy with good intentions like the Vulture. Um uh, again, you know, using this uh, techno- stolen technology to wreak havoc. So it's sort of the same story all over again. Um, but what mainly made what, what I mainly focused on the second half was how Mysterio uses this illusion, right? Uses this false surfaces against him. To me, maybe I'm reading a bit too much into it. But since I've always thought the Marvel movies biggest problem is their reliance on you know too much show and not enough you know settling things down there's just there's too much there's too many characters there's too much special effects there's too much you know uh uh too much light and shadow going on i thought of mysterio as like huh this is an interesting look at using that as the villain you know yeah producing these effects and these big battles yeah. These big battles that have no consequences, right? Because everything is fake. And then, you know, it all erases because it's, it didn't actually happen. Yeah. It just made me yeah. think, wow, this is a comment on the biggest problem that the MCU has, I think. Yeah. But I, I'm just me reading into that. I doubt they would be, you know, self-critical like that. Let me, um, re- <laughs> or even that aware. Right. <laughs> you say self-awareness. One thing that I thought was really weird about this movie, and that's such a gigantic stumbling block was that who, honestly, who the fuck who cares about Spider-Man at all doesn't know Mysterio is a villain, right? I thought in Homecoming, they did a nice job of hiding the twist of that, you know, spoiler for an old movie that the girl uh, Peter Parker is interested in, her dad is the vulture. And that's a kind of, that's a nice little shocking moment. Yeah, it's a reveal. Yeah. Yeah, at the end. Nothing... You with this movie, you're just waiting for the reveal of what what the deal with Mysterio is. Yeah. Who is this fooling? What's the idea there? How can they have so little self awareness? Well, so the only thing I could detect is that, um, and this is only it's like it's when he says he's from another Earth, another universe, and in 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 Marvel comics, there's the multiverse and in the multiverse, there is universes where Peter Parker is a detestable evil person. And there's the multiverses where zombies have eaten the entire universe. So there's all sorts of different universes. So when he says I'm from a different universe, I felt like that, that was their like weak ass attempt to be like, yeah, maybe he's a good guy after all. And it was like that, that was it. That's all I could see in the whole movie where they were maybe trying to keep you thinking, well, if he's from another universe, he might be a good Mysterio. And, and on top of that, but it's not just weak. that, it's not, it's not just that Mysterio is a bad guy, which you know, if you know anything about Mysterio, not only is he a bad guy, he's a liar. Yeah, it's an illusionist. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's like, you know, I, I don't even know. It's like if you had, you know, uh, what is his name? Craven the Hunter, right? And he showed up and he was like, I run this elephant reserve. Send your elephant. <laughs> You'd be like, wait, who the, what the fuck? Isn't that Craven? Right? Yeah. Like, you know, you'd be like, who is this fooling? You know, yeah. he's not running a real elephant reserve. You know, I, John, do you think this, I'm 
sort of positioning you as the defender of this movie because I get the sense you liked it more than me and John, but is that not true? I I don't have that biggest this big a problem with that. I mean, obviously we all all us Marvel fans know Loki is, you know, not helping out Thor at the beginning of that movie. I mean, villains are just kind of sort of revealed as they are. Mm. And we all know that uh, Mysterio is up to something. Um, but he's the special effects man from Hollywood in the comics. Yeah. That's another reason I thought, you know, maybe there's, there's something to try to say with this character. Uh, that didn't bother me as much. I was genuinely intrigued to see what his, what he was up to, what he yeah. wanted. Yeah. yeah. What his end game was. I was trying to avoid it. Um, but uh <laughs> What he actually wanted was a little oblique, I thought. Yeah. He wants to be a, a superhero? To be the new Iron Man? Yeah. It seems like after you've been given the glasses, well, you've got that, actually. Yeah. You can stop pretending now and just use the magic glasses to be yeah, Iron he Man. He wanted the world to believe it. Like, he wanted the act. We'll save them with a bunch of drones once. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, go, go actual do superhero stuff. You're capable of it now. Yeah. You know? Well, I, he isn't. Well, yeah, the drones give him the capability, but then it's just Iron Man's capability. He wants people to believe he's doing it. So mm-hmm. uh, the way people believed Iron Man is doing it, I think this I think this character and what they've set up fundamentally makes no sense. I think John's <laughs> use of the word obliquely is like, yeah, what are they doing? What are they after? It's a disgruntled employee like we've yeah. seen a bunch of times. You know, even even in the the first uh, Iron Man is even a bit of a disgruntled employee story going back to the very first one, you know? And Iron Man 2 is another disgruntled employee story, you know? And, and, uh, and that's the way it is over and over in the Marvel comics universe. And it feels, it feels repetitive and it feels like the least thought out of any of them to me. Yeah, that's fair. I will say this though. And uh, I, I wanted to bring this. You up. will say this. He's the best thing about the movie. The thing I'm criticizing here. I also think is the best thing about the film. I wanted to say he translated in my view pretty well. And when I heard Mysterio was going to be the villain in this, I was just like, Oh my God, that's going to, stink you know because to me the serial was never that interesting a villain and in in the much later years he's He's the best episode of the uh, amazing spider-man cartoon in my estimation is he yeah the mysterio one where they're on they're on a film set fucking around it's very enjoyable but i mean i feel like i I was thinking well how are they going to do this and i thought they kind of pulled off the mysterio as villain and the presentation of that kind of dorky costume that for me surprisingly well like it's it's a really old-fashioned outdated costume that kind of stuck with the classics of it and that part worked for me Uh, you know there's a lot of characters who do not translate to the screen at all and they shouldn't have even tried and Mysterio I thought was going to be one of those and kind of worked you know it was kind of a you know, even though it was an illusion, the illusion was really dynamic and cool looking. And uh, and then when uh, Spider Man and was fighting in the uh, in the illusion world, and it was all trippy. That was those those were moments where it was yeah. for me. It was kind of interesting and cool because it was pretty heavy and trippy, and it was uh, 
Yeah, it was like a drug scene, and <laughs> and it was messing him up. And I, I kind of like that. I, that you know. scene was great. It felt more like Ditko's Doctor Strange yeah, right. than uh, anything in the Doctor Strange movie. Too. Yeah, well, right. Ditko was always drawing drug scenes, pretty much. So yeah, yeah it was really cool in that. Probably movie. while on drugs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I like that stuff. And and I, again, like I said, as critical as I'm being, the Mysterio stuff was the thing I liked best about the movie, and I liked Gyllenhaal in the role. I it's good. Yeah. It's nice that he got this role considering there was that time where it looked like Tobey Maguire wasn't coming back for part two and supposedly Julian Hall was going to take over as Peter Parker. Oh, that would have been good. I would have, yeah. I would have been okay with that. Mm-hmm. Well, it's nice that, you know, he got into the Spider-Man universe eventually and I thought he was very good as well. I think mainly there was some lazy writing. Like I said, I didn't really understand what he wanted and also that his villainy should have kind of come out naturally like in the midst of battle as opposed to him having a monologue about, oh, I'm going to kill Nick Fury and kill Peter Parker and yeah. casualties, you know, it kind of all got stuffed into that one scene where yeah. suddenly he's evil for some reason. Yeah. Uh, his plan was clearly evil and, you know, that much should have been apparent. And what he's doing, <laughs> he goes, you know, I think we could have all caught on at that point. Yeah. Here, can here. I, can I ask a question to the panel? Can I use sir? Yes. Yes, yeah, please do. Um, I, I was kind of thinking about uh, the end of Homecoming and how, you know, uh, Adrian Toomes is in prison. He doesn't tell anybody that he knows who Spider-Man is. And this is like his ace in the hole. And he, you know, you've got Scorpion in there and the Shocker is still alive. And you're like, okay, are they setting up for a Sinister Six? And then, okay, far from home, you've got Mysterio. Here's another Sinister Six. And one question we can tackle is, do we actually believe Mysterio is dead? And I, I kind of think no, but hold that question for a minute. Um, I, I, I kind of feel like the fact that they revealed at the very end that, that Mysterio, uh, you know, s- switched up the visuals and made it look like Spider-Man was a real bad dude. And then revealed that Spider-Man was Peter Parker. It was like, Okay, so why is the vulture relevant? <laughs> like he he has this pivotal piece of knowledge that he could use against Peter, and it's like one of the defining great things about some of the best characters, like Venom and the Green Goblins, is that they know who he is, and Peter has been protecting that identity like crazy to protect his loved ones. And so you've got Adrian Toomes there in prison, and uh uh-oh, what's that? What's he going to do? And then all of a sudden it's like, well, what is he going to (laughs) do? This whole thing has just been screwed over. Uh, Are they writing him out? Are they just not going to bother with the vulture? Uh, I just didn't kind of get that whole thing. I wanted to One of the best moments uh, in a Spider-Man comic comes at the end of a fight between uh, Peter and, and Harry Osborn after he's become the Green Goblin, where they're taking him away and handcuffs the police. And Harry says, like, I know, hey, everybody, I know who Spider-Man don't is. Don't believe him. Yeah, oh, no, 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 it's not that one. It's uh, He says, I can tell you who Spider-Man is. And everyone stops and listens to him. And Peter says, oh, go, yeah. go ahead, I'm not afraid of you. And there's this tense moment, and then he says, but not just yet. Yeah, and then, yeah. like, laughs and, like, gets taken away. Yeah, that's a, definitely an ace in the hole that the villains have held against him. And he even says in this movie, it's all over for me if everyone knows who I am. And, uh, yeah, it is, that was kind of a shocking uh, decision at the end there. I agree. But it's just, like, it, it screws up what they, like, Adrian Toomes was in the cutscene 
of Homecoming, like they they're not cutscene, the credit scene, where it's the whole thing is he's in prison and the scorpion comes up and or the guy who presumably would become the scorpion comes up and says, you know, we hear you know who he is. He's like, I don't know if I knew, you know, I, I wouldn't I do something about it. I just didn't get that. Like, have they just moved from? That and after after credit? all that work setting up the scorpion's classic origin yeah. story of getting hit by a car on a ferry, right? That's scorpion's origin. Story. Yeah. Is it really? Right. No, Scorpion's origin story is A. Jonah Jameson uh, gets him gets him into the Scorpion business. Gets him riled up. Gets <laughs> I him can't remember riled exactly, up. but one thing about this movie, though, you mentioned the ending. I I don't know what they're doing. To me, this movie feels like they've completely fucking lost the thread with Spider Man. Yeah. Right. And and I feel a little like they've lost the thread with the Marvel Universe now that Infinity War is over, that they, it feels like they wanted to go back and do something smaller and more modest without coming to terms with, like, that doesn't exactly work right here in some way with what you've set up, you know? Um, so I, I just... This movie feels like it doesn't know what it wants to be but it feels completely saddled the reason i i don't like homecoming that much and i like homecoming more than most i think um and i really don't like far from home is i just want a fucking spider-man movie i don't want a spider-man as iron man sidekick movie i don't want a nick fury in the avengers featuring spider-man movie i don't want any of that, I just want Spider-Man. And the two Spider-Man standalone films have been so saddled with MCU stuff that it feels like there's been very little Spider-Man in them, that it's just been so beholden to this other stuff. And in this movie, it feels like they don't know what they're doing with the Avengers stuff anymore. So this feels like they totally don't know what they're doing with this movie. Like this movie serves to exist uh, purposes that haven't been determined yet, you know? Like, this is plating up something yeah. that they haven't conceived of. Which is what Amazing Spider-Man 2 kind of did, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I think, you know, again, it's sort of the self-defeating thing that we've been talking about, where they seem to understand the basic concept and themes of Spider-Man's story, but they keep getting in the way. Even the thing with Mysterio, where it seemed like for a while it was going to be a, a movie about, hey, all this technology, all this fancy stuff that you didn't even invent, that you've you know just a, a, adapted to your own powers. This stuff is a, an illusion. It's no good for you. It's dangerous and it's bad. And you should get back down to basics. Even then, it has Spider-Man going onto the plane and setting up a whole new techno suit for himself. <laughs> so it's like, I guess the theme is technology's bad in the wrong hands, you know, as opposed yeah. to just, you know, that these things are bad inherently. It feels a little too like the movie is saying, so maybe maybe Spider-Man's the new Iron Man. What do you think, audiences? You think it's pretty <laughs> cool to see him on the plane? Huh? <laughs> maybe in the glasses? No? Well, what if what if Nick Fury is a, is a scroll? Who knows? <laughs> what do you guys think? We'll put it to the audiences here. Let's get a show of hands. Spider-Man is the new Iron Man or Spider-Man is a teenager who's really obsessed with girls? Show of hands. Or maybe both. Yeah. We'll do it all. Yeah. What do you like? We'll do it. Yeah, exactly. Turn the knob to the left, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. 
it just doesn't, it doesn't feel like this is a Spider-Man movie. It just doesn't. It feels like it's trapped in the Marvel Comics universe. And I'll tell you the other thing. When I watch Homecoming or Civil War, which he features prominently in and Infinity War, obviously, I this version of Spider-Man, I never thought of the Sam Raimi movies, which I love, right? This whole movie I spent going... God damn, Raimi would have done this so much better. This fight scene Raimi would have done better. This freak out scene Raimi would have done better. The sort of goofy, sweet natured romance and physical comedy Raimi would have done a million times better. This, and then you have, you know, um, uh, J.K. Simmons show up as, as J. Jonah Jameson at the end. And it's like, yeah, you're really making me think of how much I miss the Raimi Spider-Man movies, you know? Like, you're really trying to drive this home that that this director just does not have the chops of Raimi in any way. And it made me really miss the Raimi Spider-Man, you know? All three of those movies I like. Well, the Raimi Spider-Mans, but also, you know, Spider-Verse for me really set the bar incredibly high so, <laughs> for any kind of a Spider-Man movie. And to have to come off of that is like... Well, the odd, the, everything's stacked against you already, my friend. Yeah, totally. yeah, which is <laughs> yeah. phenomenal. Spider-Verse was, it, it's, it, I think, a difficult story to tell, and they just killed it. So, you know, it, it, yeah, yeah. Uh, how do you even... Yeah, do you think it's possible, uh, both Johns, to make a Spider-Man movie with real impact after Spider-Verse? Like an MCU Spider-Man that's beholden the MC world, MCU world, that has impact when Spider-Verse is out there. Do you think it's even possible? Yeah. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> I don't know. It just feels like Spider-Verse is so freeform and so inventive, and Miles Garrett is so much better and more well-refined than Tom Holland, than the character Tom Holland's been given. I think Tom Holland does a good job, but it's not as good a character as Miles. It just feels like, how, how can you go back after the multiverse has been opened? You know, how can you go back to just living regularly after the blip, after the blip of Spider-Verse, you know? <laughs> the blip that is Spider-Verse, I like that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that we all, I, well, I, I don't know, John, if you agree with this or not, but this version of Spider-Man being someone who has to live up to Iron Man and answer to Nick Fury, it feels insane to me because it's Spider-Man. It's like DC would never make a Superman movie where, you know, teenage Superman is you know trying to impress Batman. It's just strange that the most iconic character of the Marvel universe always feels like a supporting character in his own movies. Yeah, we can't make a Batman movie without Aquaman in it. That's like fucking <laughs> Nick Fury and Happy Hogan in this. It's like completely ridiculous. You know? Yeah, yeah, I yeah, no doubt. And especially when you consider like it's something I keep thinking about is. Um, there's a there's a reverence for spider-man like people are in the comic books that is uh like people are annoyed by him because he's always jawing off and being flip and sarcastic and and whatnot but you know there's plenty of comics and i always like this where younger characters would just be in awe of him not like kids on the street but younger superheroes or even like contemporaries who kind of hate him or or, are annoyed by him are still kind of like deeply respectful of him because it he he it's all his actions you know what i mean there's no like with tony stark there's all this like 
pomp and, and asshole behavior. Uh, and, and, you know, Captain America has his jingoism that is just through the roof or whatever else, you know, Thor is just... I, I would call it real patriotism represented. <laughs> but, you know, whatever. They've actually toned that down. I, as a kid, I always remember thinking, well, this character, this Captain America is so lame. Yeah, I hated him when I was of a course. kid. I fucking hated him. I, they, I think they made him a lot better but uh, in the MCU. But Oh, um, I agree. He was my favorite before he became a fucking war criminal because of his friend. Yeah, right. Body hiding out in an African dictatorship. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've seen some true co- colors from Thunderbird here, but uh, yeah. Trump's America. It is. I'm just <laughs> saying. Real talk I, here. I identified. <laughs> I identified with Vulture because, like, nothing pains me more than to see like a blue-collar working man, like having the federal government just like Trump, Trump, Trump all over him. He had contracts with the city, you know, and they just. Didn't fucking respect that. Down to big government. I'm against red tape. <laughs> well, I mean, until we start talking about getting rid of some regulations, uh, I don't think we're really talking about anything. I don't think alien technology found in the trash should be regulated. I think <laughs> regular right. garbage men should I, have access to it. Look, I've said it before and I'll say it again. You let the market regulate alien technology. Uh, and <laughs> until it. it does, they were just contracts because they were the cheapest and most efficient and then you know you have your government coming in there crushing the little guy did you just say government because i I hate the government (laughs) (laughs) that's i mean there wasn't enough there was a little too much international flavor to far from home not enough (laughs) not enough anti-europe sentiment that's He's an he's a American for Americans, right? I know right. he's an American hero, not a European hero. <laughs> Other, of course, to the seeds. Mega crowd takes these movies. They, <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't even know. I'm sure they take them the way the majority of audiences take them, without real consideration of any of their politics and a total disinterest in anything other than the the widest swath of emotional impact and oh, an action impact. Is it? Do you want to think about these too hard? I mean, do you really want to think about yeah. like, you know? I do. There's about how he wakes up in 1930s Netherlands with like goats <laughs> hanging around, and, <laughs> and we're like, I guess Holland. Uh, <laughs> I guess these movies don't do well in Holland. Well, the thing yeah. is, is, Holland actually got snapped back in the 30s. So when they reappeared, <laughs> it was just Holland from the 30s. Is what happened. There was like Red Skull did like a preliminary snap within when he had the Infinity Stone. Explains that, everything. And you said you weren't a comic nerd. Classic retcon. <laughs> Actually, Thunderbird, you are holding your own. I, I think that whole claim of not being a comic book nerd was a little... Uh, it was uh, disingenuous. Little, yeah, pretty disingenuous. Look, if you want to talk Silver Sable, if you want to talk She-Hulk, if you want to talk Mantra... I'm your man. I'm your guy. For all, you really just like a. Uh, I, I'm actually. For all of the Were you like a comic book lech as kid? Were you that? Were you that boy who was just like, like oh god. Definitely. Anytime I bought a comic, I was like, yeah, look at that. I was like 12 years old. Well, sure. <laughs> he was the guy sitting on the corner saying, "No, I can't come play baseball. I'm reading Alpha Flight." <laughs> 
I know. No, I didn't collect comics, but I did collect the Marvel cards for some reason. I love those cards with everything on them. And I had stacks and stacks. And I, you want to hear the stats on Mysterio. They are not impressive, okay? His <laughs> <laughs> speed compared to Quicksilver's? <laughs> no way. <laughs> Strength compared to the Hulk? Forget it. <laughs> There's no way those cards said that. They had like his speed ratings and stuff on the back. And I, since I didn't know anything about comics, I'd look at him and be like, Mysterio just has like regular human everything. I'd be like, who the fuck is this guy? That's whack. <laughs> there, well, that's, there's a that's whole YouTube series. There's a whole YouTube series with like four guys critiquing the backs of those cards. Say, what? The Punisher's agility is that high? Bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> That does sound like bullshit to give the fun. You know what? Uh, I wonder if they're on Zoom because that sounds like a conversation I could uh, really get into. To get into? We'll patch you into them after this phone call. <laughs> get in on that. If we can work on that sooner than later, um, that would be great. Magneto's <laughs> intelligence is quite high. <laughs> uh, good stuff. So let me ask you this. If, if far from home, I think, you know, I don't, I genuinely don't have a lot of to say about it. It's a lot of like kind of goofy kid hijinks and some of the lines work, some of it don't. I, I think the idea is you have to want to spend a lot of time with like these kids and their two chaperones who, you know, I like both of those comedic actors uh, who play yeah, the chaperones. Too. I think they're funny. I think they're given like an impossible job in this movie to be like the clueless funny teacher is just like one of the worst comedic stock characters in all of, you know, the Disney XD universe. And they do a good job with what they're given, which isn't much, as you're saying. Yeah, it's just a, it's just lose-lose. But I, I just don't have that much to say about the meat of this movie. I like... I might have given those scenes a little bit, you know, uh, because Angori Rice is in it. And I love how they are putting all of Shane Black's child actors in these Marvel uh, movies. I would just say... Keeping it Shane Blackie. I like, I like the conception of all the characters. I like this version of MJ. I like this version of Spider-Man. I like his, his friend Ned. I like uh, Betty. Is that Betty her name? Brandt. Betty Brandt. Betty Brandt, world-famous re- TV middle school reporter. Is that, <laughs> is that the character from the comic, if I'm understanding correctly? Um, I just I like the conceptions. It feels like they're close. It's just, this is just like a nothing movie. It's really nothing it feels like such a whiff to me yeah and i was just thinking about the scene where he catches peter with his pants down where the woman for some reason is giving him the the night monkey costume it is national lampoon's spider-man for yeah, a while <laughs> dad yeah i want to get laid exactly accidental trip to bonerville <laughs> we took the wrong exit Why? So, Chris, you've made it very clear that you did not like this movie. Yeah, and I mean, I, I still I, get it four stars just on top. <laughs> sure, right. <laughs> well, you need to get some reclicks here. You need to. I, I, I liked it. I think more than you did. Although I f- thought a lot of it was pretty boring and just kind of like sleepy, uh, and again, over the top with the kind of like awkward teenage romance stuff. Um, yeah. And 
So you I think I, I actually have closed door couple ribs in terms of I think liking the movie, although having a yeah. lot of problems with it. Um, I, I kind of like want to know more about what John Cribbs liked about the movie since you, Chris, you just kind of gave some of the things you liked and that was cool. Let's, I want to think about some stuff that was good about it. Uh, and Gory Rice, uh, <laughs> uh, the Black Dahlia joke. I think I was the only one in the theater who laughed at that. Yeah, and, that was pretty good. <laughs> no, uh, I, I, I agree with Chris that I like these versions of the characters and that they are charming and agreeable. And I could spend a movie with them. And I think that's why for the first half, when it's just going around Europe, dropping your trowel at, uh, you know, the first icy blonde, you know, European looking woman, it was very, it had a, a solid pace. And I enjoyed watching it with my daughter. And then once it started kind of getting itself into the corner of a plot and have all the plot complications and then just kind of having the MCU stick its nose in, uh, that wore off a little bit, but I liked it better than homecoming. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, I, I did. I, I think it was more enjoyable than homecoming. What? Um, you didn't like, Cause I know people don't like home, homecoming and I always felt like I was uh, an outlier on that and that I was pretty satisfied with it. So I'm surprised to hear you're flipped on that. Yeah, I I guess this one just felt so much looser that it was just easier to kind of enjoy it and kind of go along with it. And like we were talking about the stuff with Mysterio and the um, the illusions and everything, when it really becomes genuinely scary. I mean, my daughter got genuinely scared when Peter is uh, trapped in that illusion and can't get out of it and it gets hit by a fucking train. I mean, that was uh, a great sequence. Yeah. So Ed Hall, we've all agreed, is very good in the movie. There's definitely enough stuff about it that I came out of it happy, feeling like it was a, you know, it was a fun time at the movies, more so than I did with Homecoming, which well, I, just, I just felt more critical of. Again, maybe my expectations were much, were lowered a lot less than when I went into that film. I think if I had seen it with my son, who's a Spider-Man fanatic, who's the same age as your daughter, I probably would have liked it more. Instead, I saw it with John Bowser. You probably would have. Who's a, a, a full-grown man. Who, but, a, you know, but a fanatic nonetheless. I mean, this is yes. really unfair to me. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, my, I asked about my, the movie, not I, about me. Yeah, I like my son more than you. John Bosler, anytime you guys want to admit See, that's that, hard anytime that you gentlemen want to admit you were making out half the movie and missed most of it, you know. I didn't say it was Spider-Man that took the wrong turn to Bonerville. <laughs> I mean, we arrived in Bonerville. I didn't say how we got there. <laughs> the seats reclined, and it was one of those things where it's like you go back in the seat, and then you're like reclining next, right next to your friend. <laughs> and it feels like, like when I saw um, the fucking Clint Eastwood movie with Bill Tech and we like recline back and I'm like, I don't know if I know Bill Tech enough to be laying about. With him. <laughs> That's amazing. But I felt, but I felt very comfortable with you, John. I thought about well, I very little. I thought more about the 12 year old next to me who was like not being great with uh, like uh, armrest space. <laughs> Where I was like, I'm like holding this strange 12 year old's hand while we lay here, you know. And, uh, you know, he called the cops pretty early. So. <laughs> That's right. You did have to leave, and I had to tell you <laughs> what happened. Describe the movie to me. Okay, this is my final question. I did like the palace guards getting in on the action. That's another positive. Oh, yeah. There's yeah. that one moment where they broke oh, out yeah. the guns. And, yeah, one and of them when, ha drone. Happy, when Happy Hogan throws the shield, that's a pretty That was moment. great. <laughs> 
I was really happy with that. That was like, <laughs> I think that's the only part where I laughed out loud. Um, yeah. That was good. We also saw it with a very muted audience. I was surprised by how little the joke seemed to land. Oh, yeah. Same here. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Let me, so let me ask you guys, what, what is your ideal next installment for Spider-Man? What, or maybe in a, not even a concrete way, like what do you want to see out of a Spider-Man movie next? Assuming there's going to be another Marvel Comics Spider-Man movie starring Tom Holland, probably getting out of college age. Like, what do you guys want to see? I, I you know, I, I, I was thinking about that and it's so tough because I don't feel like you can just like uh, recycle a character that's already been uh, used. So like, I don't think we'll see a Dr. Octopus or an Electro or something like that. But when you think about it, we've seen so many of the potential Sinister Six. And I, I, I've actually liked the idea of a standalone movie that's not so entrenched in the MCU, you know, just kind of peripherally because it is that universe where it's just like the revenge, you know, it's so much in Chris, we were talking about this earlier. So much of Spider-Man is this like uh, stumbling onto somebody doing something Mysterio or Vulture or something. And then now I'm going to stop you. And then, then thereafter, those characters switch to both their like greed and, and criminal um, pursuits, but also a major part of who they become is these like revenge characters. We have to kill Spider-Man. Yeah. I hate Spider-Man. And that's what the Sinister Six is all about. It's it, more than anything else. It's It's like, okay, well, we get beat individually. Let's join forces and just destroy this person we hate so much and, and commit such extreme acts of violence. And I, I was thinking that would be such a, a cool way for the movies to go. So that's one idea. But the other thing I kept thinking about is how much I like a longer story that's a mystery. There were so yeah. many Spider-Man comics where he, he's not like a detective in the Batman sense in comics, but he, he's got to figure something out. And the reveal wasn't just surprise, you know, she's his daughter. This It's actually trying to figure out who the Hobgoblin is or trying to figure out, you know, you know the, the vermin's childhood and why that's you know, this is another bad guy character, lesser known, but you know why this is. Oh, John here. and I talk about vermin a lot. That's true. Oh, you do? Yeah, we do. Oh, yeah, he's a great character. He's like more spectacular Spider-Man, but he was always kind of a, a cool character. But I'm terrified so I, of vermin. <laughs> yeah, he's he's really frightening, and that's another thing is to have a more frightening villain um, who you know kind of is like terrifying and there's like yeah that's my impression of the comics is that they're almost like the villains are almost like horror comic type villains you know is that it's a lot of people in masks and like monstrous and that sort of thing yeah yeah but i mean those are things that i think would be really cool to see is either something with sinister six which i don't think they're going to do or something with a, a scary villain and some kind of mystery to work out where he's got to like he, he because Spider-Man, Peter Parker becomes obsessive when there's something to work out because he's so worried somebody else is going to die. And if he doesn't figure it out, 
that death is his baggage to carry. So he's just like, he won't sleep. He won't eat. He'll just be out all night. He'll stink. His costume will be like moldy and mildewy. <laughs> I mean, he'll just be a mess because he's trying to figure out, you know, where this, this person's going to strike next or how, or where the, this criminal is going to take these guns or something like that. So I, I'd like to see, and I think that would appease you, Chris, where it would be a more standalone way of presenting the character, and I think it'd be really interesting. But of course, the end of Far From Home, to me, doesn't leave any of that as a possibility. <laughs> I just don't see any of what I want to see as being at all possible at this point in time. Huh. That's interesting. <laughs> since, uh... Case closed. Since we, we both, we both enjoy, <laughs> well, since we both enjoyed uh, this movie, but we're left feeling, I think, with a similar feeling of where from here, who knows? Like, who cares that much? <laughs> you know? yeah. It's interesting. I feel like this movie, these Spider-Man movies are training an entire generation of kids to not love Spider-Man the most. I feel like that's what these are inadvertently doing is to just, they've trained him to just be like a kind of disposable piece in the Marvel comics universe. Like, honestly, if you're growing up on these movies, you very well might like Ant-Man more than you like Spider-Man who has two far better movies than homecoming and far from home. Yeah, definitely. And who has been a more interesting character in the movies than yeah. this version of Spider-Man. And that's fucking crazy. That's artistic negligence on Marvel's part. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, Ant-Man, I barely ever even had a solo comic, you know, and, and Hank Pym and Scott Lang are just such like joint team characters. They, they never were able to command much of their own. And Spider-Man has had like, you know, four, five, six books running at a given period of time because there was so much demand for Spider-Man stories. And yeah, it's, it's like just... they flipped it with the movies. Yeah, yeah. He, he's like, you know, will he be the next Iron Man? And again, it's like, well, fuck that. <laughs> Iron Man wasn't, before these movies, that cool a character. Yeah. Uh, you know, Spider-Man was a way better character. Uh, Done. In, in every account. And, and Cribs, what do you want to say? What would be what would be the kind of thing you want out of this? Uh, for the next movie, you mean? Well, yeah. uh, well, Spider Verse ruined my you know longstanding joke of I would just like to see a standalone Peter Porker Spider Ham movie. Um, <laughs> this is a longstanding joke. <laughs> it's it's one I'd always make when someone would say, "What do you hope for the next Spider Man movie?" It goes back to eighth grade. It and it's also, incidentally, he loved this joke so much, it's the reason John doesn't want to see a bunch of his former friends team up to destroy Spider-Man movie, because John lived that, because of <laughs> terrible jokes. They all yeah, let, 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 let me clarify, that's not even a joke. That's, I would <laughs> love to have seen that at any Spectacular point. Spectacular Spider-Ham. That's amazing. Yes. So, John, no useful suggestions. Well, <laughs> well, just imagine this. It's 2006 and you asked me the same question. What's Spider-Man 4 going to be? It's going to be Otto Octavius washing up on the shore of the Hudson River. His wife appears and pulls him out of the river and says, I'm going to take care of you, right? And he's just completely battered and near death. And his wife takes him and his wife who has died in Spider-Man 2, right? Takes him and, you know, nurses him and brings him back. And, of course, his wife is the chameleon. And the chameleon is going to nurse him back to health. And he's going to be the first recruit of the Sinister Six. Second scene is Spider-Man's fighting Electro. No buildup, no origin story for Electro. They're just fighting. He's just a guy who they're fighting. 
sets yeah. up that villain. And then in the, throughout the film, he meets all the rest of the Sinister Six. They all form and they all have a reason to hate Spider-Man and they go at him and there you go. Run with it. We're not going to see that movie. We're going to see something else. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really sad Raimi doesn't make these movies anymore. Yeah. I think we all are. Well, well we are. Sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm sad that Raimi's not making any movies right now. <laughs> Mr. Balzarini, thank you so much for coming on and talking Spider-Man with us. This was yeah, very enjoyable. This was a blast. And just because I want uh, Mr. Balzarini to have the last word, what is your favorite movie of the MCU, personally? Oh, that's tough. Uh, Ragnarok, Thor Ragnarok is one of the best. If yeah. Um, and good I might... Collection. I might um, the first Ant-Man was really good. Thor Ragnarok is great. Um, I liked um, Infinity War a lot. Yeah. Um, although some people didn't. But yeah, I guess I'll... And... Um, uh, Winter Soldier was awesome. So I, instead of giving you the one, I'll give you those because I thought those were just really, really good. Great choices. And argue with them. And thank you, John Cribs, as always, for doing this show. And thank you to our Patreon subscribers for listening. Because of you, we can pay the writers on our site. And do I have to say it, John? Have a good night, everybody. Bye.